Florida's Fourth Estate with hosts Ginger Gadsden and Matt Austin, the show where we bring Florida into focus. Hey, welcome back to Florida's Fourth Estate. So glad to have you with us here on News 6. And we have a very special guest today to talk about the craziness that is Florida politics. I mean, with our current governor, you could say that Florida has become the center of the political universe. We're making headlines at least every other week, Ginger. And one guy we know very well covers this to a T, doesn't he? Oh my goodness. I would say, I would beg to say, differ with you and say that we make headlines every week. And the person who covers it like nobody's business is the Orlando Sentinel columnist, Scott Maxwell. He is a, a fountain <laughs> of wealth and knowledge here about everything you need to know going on in Central Florida and particularly this story. We're talking about Reedy Creek. Scott, Hey, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, it's our understanding that you're going to give us a definitive answer on is this is legal or not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Look no, at his I'm eyes. Not. No pressure. I'm already. No pressure. Uh, I got when you, when you started to introduce me, you said uh, something started with an F and you said fountain afterwards. And that's better than <laughs> some, often what I'm called. So uh, already I'm feeling like I killed it. I'm ready to do a mic drop. Again. That's all right with you guys. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> That's why we bring him on for comedic relief. And oh so my gosh. That, that's but true, though. People aren't laughing about what's happening with this Reedy Creek uh, story sure. because we don't. First of all, I was doing just research on it because we talk about it in the news and we think we understand the nuances of it. But then when you get into the weeds, there is so much to unpack here. Where do you even begin? Well, part of the problem here, Ginger, is that you have probably done more research into uh, what uh, Reedy Creek involves uh, than the legislators and the policymakers who abolished it. And and I've, I've sort of uh, equate what has happened uh, between Disney and Florida politicians as like a really ugly middle school breakup. Uh, <laughs> like they, they were hot and heavy, in this case, for like five decades, uh, sort of each scratching each other's back. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, Disney said, ah, we're not so fond of this don't say gay bill, uh, which they only did after a lot of pressure. And then Disney, and this is really important uh, in my mind and, and gets overlooked. Disney also said, we're going to stop giving you money, uh, which Disney has given to politicians on both sides of the aisle uh, for decades. And as soon as that happened, uh, the politicians just went apoplectic. Uh, yeah, they went apoplectic. Uh, Ron DeSantis and Republicans and the legislators said, well, we may have loved you for 50 years, but now you're the worst people on earth and we're going to try to mm. do everything we can to undo uh, everything, all the special favors that they had done. Because uh, it's not just Reedy Creek. This legislature had passed special favors for Disney just last session. Uh, and so now uh, they're, yeah, they're in a very public fight that's probably not serving any of them uh, terribly well. Yeah, and this is kind of a two-pronged issue, I feel like. So Disney had this set up that for 50 years, like you said, that I think a lot of people outside of this situation would say, you know, that's not really fair. One business gets to have their own government, their own water district. They don't have to go by, you know, get approval for building codes. Like there are a lot of advantages to having your own government. So I think before all this, many people would say, you know, that doesn't exactly seem fair. It was kind of the way it worked politically. Like you said, it, it was almost a vengeance play. Like we have this kind of dangling over Disney's head. 
and we can use it, which that felt icky. So if I can break it apart, Scott, and just say, okay, do you think that the Reedy Creek District was fair? Is this something Disney should have? What would you say to that? Yeah, probably not. And in fact, uh, I've said that before. Our newspaper said that before. We've written about um, all the powers, the strange, the only to Disney powers that uh, that they had. I mean, they control the airspace uh, over Disney, uh, which most companies uh, don't do. They've uh, there's been talk about uh, nuclear power uh, yeah. possibilities uh, that they have, which have been somewhat exaggerated. But yeah, they have a lot of these uh, of rules uh excuse me powers that other companies don't have and there are some folks who say oh but disney's gonna disintegrate and problems will happen if they don't have these powers i think that's a bunch of horse hockey i mean if disney <laughs> doesn't have its own government you know what disney will do it will function just like every other company in the world that doesn't operate its own uh government what makes this odd is that this is this setup is something that these exact same politicians have supported and defended for decades. Ron DeSantis, after Disney, uh, you know, sort of inserted itself into the don't say gay bill and came out and criticized him for it, said he wanted to look under the hood. Uh, I mean, they, they were pretty uh, open about the fact that they didn't want to look and see what Disney was doing until Disney ticked them off and once again cut off their campaign uh, donations. One of, one of the parallels uh, that I've drawn is that uh, Disney's had this this government power uh, for a lot of years, which a lot of people, including us, have raised questions about. Now let me draw another parallel. Universal has these has bizarre privileges as well. There is something called a, a high crime tax district, which was created to encourage businesses to invest in high crime areas, you know, where, where murders and crimes are happening. Universal gets the majority throughout the entire state of all the millions of dollars. Universal gets the most of that uh, to build things like uh, four star hotels and rides. Most every politician we've ever interviewed has also said that is a problem. They've said that needed to end. But every time we've written about that, Universal throws another $160,000 worth of freebies at the Republican <laughs> Party for uh, things like uh, their, their, their retreats, and they let that special treatment happen. What happened here is Disney kind of messed up its own deal by speaking up and cutting off the donations. And the politicians in this state were really pretty clear. They said, if you're going to cut us off and criticize you, then we're going to go after the special treatment that we've supported until now. Yeah, but they kind of had to do something because they were being heavily criticized for remaining silent on something that was a really big deal here in in Florida. And, you know, you say that they finally looked under the hood, but after 50 years of not looking under the hood, aren't they just as much to blame for not knowing? It's like, hey, we're getting this sweetheart deal, but we don't know how it's happening. And now that someone has done something that they don't like, well, let's inspect a little close closer and take a closer look at this it just seems very petty it is i and and, and i think it's um very disingenuous and disingenuous is the nicest word i can use <laughs> on your podcast uh for governor DeSantis and republican legislators to say they needed to look under the hood they knew exactly what was going on here this is a deal there have been books literally books written about the special deal that disney has and they've all been fine with it it was only because of this uh that because of spite that said i'm not terribly sympathetic to disney you're right that they had to do something i I think the Sentinel and, and we were kind of responsible for prompting Disney to have to say something. Disney had this long history of sort of profiting upon its pride and equality and LGBT plus uh, friendly uh, reputation. It slaps rainbows on Mickey Mouse and everything else to sort of uh, open 
to show the world that it's uh, very in favor of equality. Yet one of the things that I wrote about and we wrote about is that Disney had funded every single sponsor every single one of the don't say gay bill. So on one hand, they're saying, you know, we're open to everyone. On the other hand, they've been funding the people that are actually sponsoring these mm -hmm. bills. That's kind of what prompted Disney to get off the sidelines when celebrities started reading about it, when the people who were starring in Disney movies says, hey, I've got a problem with this. So Disney sort of fostered uh, the, the, this divisive political climate that the state has. And now they finally speak up and they're sort of paying a price for it. Yeah. They and were are you surprised at the speed of at which this happened because didn't yes. it happen in something like 72 hours from the time yes. the governor said okay well we don't have to play nice with you guys anymore and then three days later boom it's done politics is not a place for nuance our editorial board actually <laughs> wrote a pretty good editorial board that's uh, editorial at one point in time that said hey we think we're in favor of dissolving reedy creek as well but maybe you should guys should i don't know know what the hell you're doing uh <laughs> you know they, as you said it happened over 72 hours after they passed this uh, governor DeSantis said something like we're gonna figure you know work out the details I think most people would generally like their public officials to know what they're doing before they do it. Uh, it was very uh, obviously a spite move. Uh, they didn't seem to know what they were doing, nor did they seem to care. And I don't know that their base cared uh, either. But yes, yeah. absolutely. Details are not worked out. And to get a little further down, there's a lot of questions about who's going to end up paying. And it may be the three of us and everybody else who lives in Orange County. Because um, while Disney gets special treatments, they also pay a lot of the bills. And uh, last we checked, there was something like a billion dollars worth of uh, bond indebtedness that Disney has uh, basically assumed right now via Reedy Creek. And if the state takes it over or if Orange County takes it over, that means taxpayers ultimately take it over. And we still don't have good answers on who's going to be responsible for all that. Yeah. And the governor has repeatedly said that's not going to happen. He just hasn't given us how he's possibly <laughs> he going to be able how to. How it's not going to happen. Uh, that that makes no sense. But right. one thing that I've, I've noticed from this, I've seen a lot of people, so the critics of the governor say this was just a, a really dumb move that he didn't put a lot of thought into. I, I, having interviewed this guy and watching him for the past few years, it doesn't seem to me like he does a whole lot of things uh, just kind of just just reacting and not thinking about it. I think there's kind of a team of people there that make him make decisions uh, that that get him national attention. This certainly was one of those. And I know Disney has paid him hundreds of thousands of dollars in the past politically, but Right. Could he? Did he get more juice off of this, off of making Disney woke Disney the enemy, than he ever would have from a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars like Disney has donated in the past? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think you're right about him thinking through. I don't think Ron DeSantis passes gas without thinking about how it's going to impact <laughs> his political ambitions. Uh, I don't think he thought through how the actual mechanics of this was going to work, yeah. but he did think through. Uh, what the reaction was going to be. And what we have seen time and again with Ron DeSantis and the base that sort of seems to be propelling him to the talk of the top of the presidential uh, talk for uh, 2024 is they don't care about the details. Uh, that if, if you scream about woke Disney, if you pass a don't say gay bill, that e critics, uh, that even conservative critics say, uh, this this is legally problematic. This is uh, not written in, in, in a way that's gonna hold up in court. They don't care. 
uh, as long as you're sort of thumping your chest and, and feeding the red meat base, uh, he doesn't seem to pay any political price for it. You know, to, to, to sort of shift and show another example, look at all the times he's been sued for violating, uh, successfully, for violating the Constitution. And this, this is uh, where judges, Republican judges, in some cases, judges that Ron DeSantis himself appointed, have said, hey, you passed the law, like the one that cracks down on uh, Twitter and Facebook, that tried to tell these privately funded platforms they couldn't kick off uh, people who were posting vile or racist or even threatening or illegal things. Um, it was deemed unconstitutional by a conservative judge, but it doesn't seem to cost Ron DeSantis anything with his base. So I think you're going to continue to see more of that. Kind of yeah, just cost taxpayers people, money. Oh, yeah. so $600. $675 an hour. Absolutely. That's insane. People won't remember that it's, forget that it's unconstitutional or not legal. They will only remember that, yeah, somebody stood up to the big guy or somebody stood that's up exactly for us right. and this is how we feel. And that's, all they're going to care about that is that that is the political calculation it's that uh, somebody stood up to facebook somebody stood up to disney somebody stood up to this big transgender uh, i guess if you believe that's a a threat to the world and uh yeah that that is uh the notion that has uh, i would say he's done the correct political calculus uh on at least as it pertains to the republican base well so we've talked a lot about republicans and i, I want to be equal opportunity here, uh, Scott, no, because, oh, oh, I do. I do. Um, <laughs> Scott, I, Democrats in our state, uh, I've seen you take many shots at them as well, in fairness. Um, so they just don't seem to have any sort of power. They seem to be outsmarted at almost every level. Um, what are your, what do you see with that side of things? Because it seems like even when we cover, you know, the state legislature, we talk to Democrats, but they really don't pass any laws in this state. So what do you think about yeah, I, that side of things? I, I think Democrats in this state are generally a mess. If you, if you gave them a 99-yard head start and a 100-yard dash, Florida Democrats would usually end up <laughs> finding a way to lose. Wow, uh, how and, do you really uh, feel? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my column today was uh, criticizing the Democratic front runner Charlie Crist for not agreeing to debate his uh, Democratic uh, candidates. I mean, that that's a boneheaded move on a whole bunch of levels, I would say. It's, it's A, just not good for democracy. I think voters deserve to hear from their candidates, but it's also a bad move for Democrats. How do, you, how do Democrats think they are going to get attention against a, a super funded candidate like uh, Ron DeSantis unless they get that free earned uh, media airtime? Uh, but Charlie Crist seems to think because he's the front runner, he doesn't have to do that. Uh, they, they just seem to botch races over and over again. The most stark statistic, and I think this blows people's minds, is that we are a state that has generally been regarded as purple. It even had more Democrats uh, registered than Republicans until very recently. And yet no Democrat has ousted a Republican incumbent in a statewide race in more than 30 years. We're talking since the wow. Golden Girls were on TV, uh, <laughs> that, that no Republican has kicked one out. And if you think about that, when, Repub wow. when Democrats had the numeric advantage, I don't know how they're going to do it now. And I think that's because uh, Republicans are generally better campaigners. Gerrymandering has played a role in, in the mm -hmm. district levels, but that doesn't explain a gubernatorial race, which where gerrymandering isn't in play. The only districts are the state boundary. Uh, Democrats have just really struggled to get their act together, while Florida has sort of attracted this more loyal voting group of retirees who have sort of, I got mine, and they, and they tend to vote a little redder. Yeah, we okay, so we know you're not a strategist, but if you were going to advise the Democrats on this, 
what would your advice be at least one piece of advice of something they could do like right now well i think they need to go hard after things like abortion and uh, on on guns right now uh you know one of the things republicans have been so successful about is sort of i would argue fear-mongering sort of this uh, uh the democrats are coming to get your guns uh, I don't think hardly any serious Democrat has actually proposed a confiscate gun plan, but that's been a really effective tool at motivating the Republican base. Well, they are, uh, to sort of use a bad twist of phrase, they are coming to get your abortions or, or your, your right to choose. I mean, we, we, we've heard, we've seen the Roe versus Wade uh, discussion going on and Republicans in the legislature have been uh, very open about saying they want to, uh, to take those rights away. Polls suggest that most people do not agree with that. They, you know, there's very degrees about what when, when in a when a pregnancy that's allowed but when it comes to things like rape and incest those are exceptions that even are not allowed uh, by the excuse me the current republicans don't favor i think they need to hit those uh issues harder i think they need to hit things like the unconstitutional uh um laws that we just discussed that Ron DeSantis has passed, I think they need to just do a better job of campaigning and get on the same page. Man, it always seems like Democrats are rowing in, in opposite directions mm -hmm. and they don't get together. Say what you want about Republicans. They may beat the tar out of each other during a primary. They usually come together in a general in a way that Democrats Lockstep. do. Yeah, they rally the troops. Uh, and one thing that uh, Democrats nationally have started taking aim at, Rick Scott's tax plan that he sort of came out with roguely, you know, like the other Matt, Republicans were like, what is happening? And now Joe Biden has pounced on that. I would beat on that. I would put that in every mailer. For those of your viewers who may not have seen it, it had a lot of parts to it. But the two parts that are getting the most attention is Rick Scott's calling for taxes on everyone, including people who don't have jobs and incomes. And that, I think his idea was, you know, sort of target those freeloaders that, that uh, Republicans like to talk about. But what he's always also talking about is retirees. And that's part of the reason why Mitch McConnell was like, oh, hell to the no. Uh, this is not a plan <laughs> that we are going to get behind. Uh, and the other part of his plan is Rick Scott called for sunsetting, uh, ending all federal uh, programs. And that may seem good when, sound good when you uh, say it fast, but that includes Social, Social Security, Security and yeah. Medicare. And that's why Republicans were the first to come out and bash that. And Rick Scott's <laughs> not just this random senator. He's the head of the Republican Senate campaign. Theoretically, what he's saying is if you uh, put us in charge in Washington, this is what you're going to get. If I was a Democrat, I don't think you could hit that hard enough about Social Security and Medicare being under threat and higher taxes for retirees. It's those lazy retirees. I, they're just <laughs> dragging us down. Yeah, who needs the villages to vote for you, right? I mean, come on. My gosh, that was, I remember when that happened. And just the response from both what? sides, like, what are you doing? You know, it was crazy. There was a very awkward moment where uh, Mitch McConnell and Rick Scott were at the same podium and Rick Scott did his plan. And then he walked off and the very next question was some reporter asking Mitch McConnell, like, is that going to happen? And Rick McConnell's like, no, you know, you just gotta, <laughs> that will not happen. So, yeah, I, I would uh, I would tag uh, Republicans with that idea. Yeah, they're trying to figure out a way to kill his mic while he was saying that. <laughs> Scott, when you're when you sit down to write and you talk about what's happening, especially politically, are there times where you can't even believe yourself that you're crafting what you're about to say because it's based on what's happening here? 
Yeah, and I will, I'll be honest with you, at a moment of, uh, you know, a little darker and more candid moment, I've written about politics for, uh, you know, going on 25 years, and in the, well, for 25 years in this state, and most of the time it sort of rolls off my back. I found uh, sort of the tenor of the national and state conversation really kind of depressing uh, mm -hmm. over, over the past two years. It seems personal and divisive in a way that uh, I, I'm not used to. Uh, that, that, that's on the serious side. On the, on the lighter side, I am reminded of what uh, Carl Hyacin often said about uh, writing Florida fiction. He's you know one of the best at it. He said, it is always hard because nothing you can make up is crazier than Florida's reality. I mean, this is a state where like bricks of marijuana and cocaine drop out of planes and hit people on the head. You know, this is uh, where, where you have uh, mayors getting arrested on a somewhat regular basis. I've covered like multiple grand juries uh, and uh, going after people on our expressway authority. So yeah, it, it is pretty crazy in the state, uh, but it's also sometimes fun. Yeah, as a, as a journalist, I'm curious as to what takes a toll on you the most. We had this uh, just recently. I, I know with these uh, school mm. shootings, covering those is just brutal. The Pulse nightclub uh, was awful. Is there something that you cover that it, as soon as it happens, you just kind of bury your head and you're like, I can't believe uh, that we have to deal with this? Yeah. And, and, and the shooting is a really great example. In fact, after it happened, and I wrote a column where I tried to be sort of candid with uh, readers this past Sunday, right after Uvalde happened, I sort of made a decision in my mind, I'm not going to write about this. Um, I thought, what can I say? I mean, what can I say now that I didn't say after Pulse, that I didn't say after Parkland, that I didn't say after mm -hmm. the Charleston shooting, these shootings that we don't even remember anymore. Other ones in our backyard, like the one out in West uh, Forsyth, um, but it was after I talked to uh, Fred Gutenberg, whose uh, father, uh, whose daughter was killed in um, Parkland, who, who said, you know what, I do this every day. Uh, my daughter, Jamie, was killed and I can't afford uh, to stop uh, fighting. I, I don't know what I can say after a shooting that is going to make somebody think about something they haven't already thought. So I, I dread those things. I don't know that we've got an answer, but I do agree with Fred that we can't stop trying. Yeah, you know, unless you have someone involved in it personally, we have the luxury of being able to look away or turning off the TV and just sort of putting the volume down. But if you have a loved one you've lost in something like that, you don't have a choice. So one of my favorite definitions that I often use when writing about politics is privilege. And I heard this a long time ago, that the definition of privilege is when something doesn't strike you as a problem until it's a problem to you. And mm -hmm. I often hear about it. I believe that's why we have a list of 25,000 uh, special needs and disabled families on a waiting list, something that I find unconscionable in a state that has so much money that we're offered, often begging uh, the public for ways to spend it all. Uh, people, we have families on a waiting list that were the average, the average wait list is seven years uh, to get mm -hmm. help. Kids are die uh, before they get, and we're talking about kids with profound disabilities. I think the same thing, as you mentioned, Ginger, uh, happens with, uh, with these shootings. You start to turn numb to it until someone you know, until somebody in your family is struck. And, and what, a, what, a, what a horribly tragic way uh, to prompt an epiphany. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, true. it's very true. And uh, well, we, we call our show Florida's Fourth Estate. The Fourth Estate is the media journalist. So we like to highlight 
some of the best journalists that we see out there. Scott Maxwell, you're certainly one of them. We appreciate what you do. Keep busting the chops of those politicians. We appreciate. I don't think uh, I know any other way. Uh, so <laughs> Great. One of don't my change. Ex- expressions is that a journalist's job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I like doing the second part a little more. <laughs> we all have our niche and you have found yours. Scott Maxwell with the Orlando Sentinel. Thank you so much for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys.